Uh, may I have the honor of welcoming you once again this morning. Uh, as uh, Pastor Mike had alluded to earlier, we missed you on Friday if you were not there at the uh, church Christmas party at the Wills house. There was much fun to be had, and uh, there were many gifts that were given, and you know, I, I am curious as to how some of these played out. Um, so if you have a chance, you could ask Rosie about her, her back scratcher and uh, shoehorn thing. Did you take that home? You did? Okay. I think Eric and Katie Will might stop hosting this event because I, I think a number of presents were left at their house. Um, I don't know, was, there, was there something that was left? Where, where did they go? There, there's, you know, did you, did you, quite a few things were left? Okay. It, it does not mean that the gifts were themselves bad. I think they were that good that they wanted to be shared with uh, the host family. So um, just beware of there may be more you still find. I don't know. But we had a great time, and so uh, thank you, Eric and Katie, for hosting that. And uh, if you see my face on someone's socks at some point, just know that you missed out on a great event. Yes, Michelle? May, are they here today? Oh, I don't mind at all. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you should say, there, there are some Jasons, and they're being worn by uh, the, the person who won them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, that's that's my face on uh, on socks. Look at that. So so here's how where we do a gift exchange, and Jean was the first person to open this gift, and then it got stolen uh, by Pastor Mike, and then it got stolen again. It ended up with uh, the Gonzalez by Barb um, Gonzalez and then Michelle ended up getting them, and uh, wow, wow is all I can say. I'll be honest with you guys. So in the beginning of the night, I stood back and I just, just watched everybody and I got all emotional. I was like, I'm going to miss this next year. Uh, but you get to have fun in my stead. So make sure that you can make it if you are able to. I wanted to give you an update uh, on what's happening with our board and our process for looking into the future. We met on Monday night with our district superintendent and uh, his right-hand man, Dennis Turner, and they came. And we started the process, and we wanted to communicate to you that the process of, 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 of finding the next pastor of Shelby Alliance Church has begun. And what does that mean for you, for us? Uh, we will be doing a couple of online surveys. Uh, they're very specific, not random questions that we thought up. Would you like the next pastor to have a full head of hair? I mean, I could understand that. Um, no, they're not the preference questions. They're uh, heart questions and ministry questions. And so please be looking forward to those. Uh, we want to make sure that we have your email address. And if you don't have an email address, you are welcome to at some point come in and use one of our computers to take one of these surveys. Just wanted you to know that they're coming in the next couple of weeks. At the same time, our district is excited about this church. Uh, they said of all the situations and circumstances that they have uh, as far as pastors transitioning, so this is a healthy church with a healthy transition, and we are excited to work with you guys. And so if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to ask myself, uh, any one of our elders, Pastor Mike, uh, our, our board members, and we'll be glad to answer them as they, uh, as they come. And so we wanted to keep that in front of you to let you know that uh, God has already started that process, and we invite you to continue to pray with us as we journey forward. Um, so that being said... We are journeying together through our series, Connecting Christmas. And this week, we are going to look at the story 
of an interesting character in the Christmas narrative. I'm not much of a, uh, a literary buff, but I do know some basics. In any good story, you have the protagonist, the, the main character, the hero or the heroine, and, and, and the story tends to focus on what's happening in that individual's life or circumstance. And if you have a, a good story, there's often an antagonist, somebody who is in direct opposition to the main character. And we find an antagonist in Matthew chapter 2. Now, he's worse than the Grinch. He's worse than Scrooge because those are fictitious characters. But this character was a real person in history. And he wasn't just a, the opposite of, of, of good. He was, he was a bad guy. And we're going to look at his story this morning as we look at Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 2 and we discover uh, the story of King Herod the Great. Now, I've, I've preached a lot of sermons in my 16 years of, of being a pastor, but I have yet to preach a sermon focused on King Herod. And so when I, when I prepare a message and I go, I've not talked about this before, I do a deep dive into their history and, and, and who they were and what they were about. And man, I was fascinated to find out some things about King Herod. And there's one thing that I'll share with you in a moment that I never knew. King Herod, his story, again, is in Matthew chapter 2. And as you look through the, the book of Matthew, you see characters named Herod or have Herod in their name multiple times. Well, that's because King Herod decided to name some of his kids Herod. Uh, and so you see this, this pattern going on here. Here's his, his family tree. You really can't see any of those words. Don't worry, it's not you, it's me. It's really small. But let me tell you this. King Herod, he, uh, he had some kids, and his kids, they married his kids. It was weird. It was kind of gross. And you see all the way down here, you've got King Herod Agrippa, who's one of Herod's sons. He was the one that imprisoned Peter. He was the one that executed James, the son of Zebedee. You see that King Herod Agrippa had a, right, a wife, Herodias. Well, Herodias fell in love with you know, King Herod's other son, Herod Antipas, and, and John the Baptist was like, this is bad. We don't like this. This is horrible. You shouldn't get married. Well, they had a daughter named Salome, and Salome is the one that asked for John Baptist, his head, on a silver platter. So you see this, this family tree. It's messed up, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Herod himself was kind of messed up. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod here. He was a villain. He was mean. He was a murderer. And he was known for his cruelty. He had members of his own family put to death. Why? Because he saw them as threats to his throne. His throne. That's an interesting statement. His brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, two of his own sons, and even one of his wives, he had them killed because of paranoia and fear of being usurped. He murdered out of spite and killed to stay in power. power. Uh, there's an ancient historian who is well known in, in history, in antiquity, of, of keeping amazing records. His name was Josephus. Josephus said that Herod the Great was barbaric. Understand, history does not look at King Herod as an amazing guy. Well, that's partially true because he did some amazing things. We'll talk about that in a second. Herod had spies everywhere keeping watch uh, for anybody that would be in competition to his throne. But he was also very clever. And so King Herod wanted to stay in power. He was um, in charge of this 
area in, uh, in, in this Roman area, Jewish area. He was in charge of the Galileans. And when he was 25 years old, he was put in charge as a governor of, oh gosh, where's my word? I have it here somewhere, of, of Galilee. And so he wanted to stay in power, so he knew how to manipulate people. When there was a famine in 25 BC, he said, you know what? I'm going to take all the taxes that you guys paid to the temple, and I'm going to give them back to you because I want you to have food. At the same time, he melted down gold during a, a, another tough economic period, and he gave people money so that they could buy food. He wanted to stay in power. He was cruel, yet at the same time, he was also cunning. He was given a very high position as well. What's interesting is he, in 40 BC, was given a title that you may have heard before. King Herod was given the title King of the Jews. All right, so this is this golden nugget that I had no idea existed because we know another king of the Jews, right? His name was Jesus. Interestingly enough, Herod had the same title. Now, why would they call him Herod the Great? I'm glad you asked because I have an answer for you. So he was cruel, he was calculating, he was cunning, but he was also a magnificent builder. Herod had built seven palaces and seven theaters. He built stadiums for sporting events. The largest stadium that he built could house 300,000 people. That's a lot of people. He built the port city of Caesarea, named in honor of Caesar Augustus. One of his greatest buildings was the palace known as Masada. Now, this was where he would go when it got cold in the wintertime. He'd go to Masada, and it was like a fortress. Because one of the cool things in Masada was this swimming pool and sauna that he had built inside the palace. Now, we're talking 2,000 years ago. This man was a genius. But amongst all the things that he built, his most impressive structure on his resume was that he built the temple. This was the second temple that was built. The first one was built by King Solomon, David's son. And so you think about the people of Israel and how much they valued having a place to worship God. Herod, knowing he's in charge of these people, said, I'm going to build your temple for you. It took 46 years to build. As he built this temple, it became one of the wonders of the ancient world. And so here's this guy who's in charge of, uh, of these people, given the title king of the Jews, and he built a temple for the Jewish people because he wanted them to continue to want him in power. Fast, uh, flash forward for a little bit. When we look at Jesus, when he enters into the temple and he turns the tables, this is the temple that Herod built, and he makes this, this prophetic statement, no one believed him. He said, there will not be one stone that will be left upon another when this place is destroyed. Everyone's like, Herod's temple? Are you kidding me? This place is magnificent. How could this possibly be destroyed? Well, no one believed Jesus, but he spoke words that would be true. So how does Herod's story, how does Herod connect to us? What does this mean? 
Well, we're going to read about his involvement in the Christmas narrative, and you may be familiar with many of the lines as we read them. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. What are they saying? We have come to worship the king of the Jews. Herod knew they weren't talking about him. We'll find out his response in a moment. We have come to worship him, not you, Herod. Now, were these magi, these, these, these wise men, were they aware that Herod had the title king of the Jews? I don't know. They weren't trying to be facetious. They weren't trying to be manipulative. They were following a star that led them to this place, and they had done their homework. They knew that the people of Israel had a, a prophetic word spoken or written about this king, and so they went to go find him. Did they know that Herod would not take kindly to their request? I don't know. But what's interesting is, to Herod, the birth of Christ represented competition. And so I want to take the application of my sermon today a little bit differently. I want to give you some, some things that you can remember. So Herod took the birth of Christ as competition. What's my encouragement to us, the application for us? Don't play musical chairs. <laughs> but it's Christmas. We always play musical chairs at Christmas. Now, what does this mean for you and me? How often does your faith get in the way of your desires? How often in your everyday, day-to-day, walking with God and navigating life, does God's will get in the way of your will. Oftentimes, we don't even ask God. We just do our own thing. Does the birth of Christ represent competition in your life? Hmm. Do we see the birth of the Savior of the world as competition over who's going to be ruling my heart? Guys, this may not even be a conscious thought. Oftentimes, we just go in drive, and we just move. We don't stop to ask God His will for our lives. We don't stop to ask Him His will for our day. We just get in go mode, and, and we just move forward. And so oftentimes, it's, hey, God, I'm doing this. Will you bless what I'm doing? Instead of saying, God, I want to stop, and I only want to do what you're blessing. If we waited for God's blessing, we would be a lot less active in the things that are meaningless. If we waited for God's blessing, we would be a lot more active in the things that have a lot of meaning for the kingdom of God. So what do I mean by don't play musical chairs? It's that idea of inside of our hearts there's a throne. Who is in charge? And left to our own devices, we're going to put our butts on that seat every single time. Because we want to be in charge. We want to be the authors of our destiny. We want to make decisions, and we want to act. But a true servant waits for the king to give instruction. 
and often in my life, even it's not a conscious thought, I find myself, holy cow, how did I get here on the throne? God, I did it again. I'm, I'm just doing, going through my day. My, this is my normal. This is without thought. I end up doing the same stuff. It's not bad stuff, but is it what you want? Herod saw Christ as competition. Sometimes I don't even think we are aware who's on the throne because we just get in go mode. Don't play musical chairs. Well, how, do I, how do I not do that, Pastor? What does that look like? If you and I made a commitment every day to wake up and say, God, thank you for today. I give this day to you. Will you direct me? It, I don't think it means, God, should I eat Cheerios or should I eat Frosted Flakes? I don't know. I can't act until you tell me. I, I don't think it goes that far, but are you submitting your decisions to Him? Or are they an afterthought after they've already been made? You see, Herod, he knew who was who he wanted on the throne. And there would be no other king of Jews in his mind. Would you wait and trust in God's timing, in his direction, and his desire for your life? When you do that, he sits on the throne. Continuing on, we see in verse 3, Herod's story. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Why would this be true? Not why would Herod be disturbed. He was disturbed because somebody else took his title, and he didn't like that. But why is it true that all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him? Were they upset that someone was born, a child was born that could fulfill this prophecy? No, I think they would have been ecstatic. But they were upset because Herod was crazy. And if Herod was miserable, then everyone else was going to be miserable around him. So how do I apply that? I've got a fun way of saying that. Our state of mind affects more than just us. How we're feeling, how we're doing, how we're thinking affects more than just us. So my encouragement is to reflect correctly. You might have heard it before, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Anybody hear that? Anybody say that in your own? Or if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody. If someone is upset, then everyone else is going to have a bad day. I want to talk about this for a second, because you and I have the ability to affect the lives of others. Do you believe that to be true? If you're having a bad day, do the others around you then have a bad day as well? Maybe. Okay, you and I have the ability to affect lives. Here, everyone in Herod's kingdom was disturbed because they lived in fear of what Herod was going to do. Let me rephrase this. Have you ever had somebody that you walked on eggshells around? You were worried that if you offended them, they would bite your head off. Anybody? Ever? Okay, yeah, I mean, we've got some people like that in our lives. And, and let's think about this. Christmas time is a time of coming together. And sometimes we don't necessarily get along with the people we're coming together with, right? So 
reflect correctly. Okay, let me be honest with you for a second. I hate the whole eggshell thing. I, I hate walking on eggshells because I go, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a big if because some of our relatives, some of our, our people that were like, I just, they're not believers. And it's not okay for you to, to say, hey, you're acting like a, a, a stinky jerk face. I don't know. But on some level, if you believe that God is the ruler of our lives, and if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, then we must speak truth in love. If you believe that, then there are some situations that I'm going to encourage you to speak truth in love. Guys, growing up, I had a group of friends. I loved my friends dearly, and, and I, they loved me, and I, I thought they really did love me. I remember going through high school, graduating, coming back when I was in college, and we had a group get-together, and we were just talking about some of the mistakes we've made in life, and and one of my friends had shared how, um, you know, he and his girlfriend had been intimate with each other. And he goes, well, you understand, right, Jason? And I go, what? Goes, yeah, you, you, you slept with your girlfriends, right? I go, no. You didn't? Go, no. And they're like, we, we just assumed you did. All of my friends, I'm like, why would you not talk to me about that? If this was, this was something that was, you just assumed and you didn't discuss that with me. You know, think of another situation. You've got somebody who's making horrible decisions in their life, and here's the edge of a cliff, and they're right here looking over, and you know that if they make one more bad decision, it could wreck their lives. Would you say something? Hopefully. Hey, Jim, Sue, Tim, Sally, move away from the edge of the cliff because you're going to end up hurting yourself or somebody else. We live in a culture and a society that says how dare you tell somebody else how to live don't say anything lest you might offend them but if we believe we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we have a commission to speak the truth in love it does not mean that you wave the book around and say you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong but if we people who love God are not willing to speak the truth and call out sin, then who else will? And it doesn't mean, again, that, that you're the right police or the wrong police. It means that you love the people that you're talking to. Are you reflecting correctly or are you disturbed because you're worried about what other people might do? Are you willing to speak the truth in love? Are you willing to say the difficult things even if it might offend somebody? <laughs> I'm not good at that, guys. Why? Because I, I care probably more than I should about what other people think. You may find yourself like me in that, where it's hard to say difficult things. Oh, man. So I've got flashes in my head off, off sermon of of conversations that I've had with people that I love that were very difficult. I won't go into great detail, but I actually had to pull my dad aside once and say, Dad, I love you. Uh, this, this is not okay. This is not okay and it needs to stop. I was the only person in his life that had the guts to say something to him. And guess what? He thanked me for it. And that thing changed. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But I was so worried that, well, he might get mad at me. 
a true friend, man, and some of you may, does anybody know off the cuff the quote in Scripture in, in the Psalms where it says, uh, the, 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 the whispers of your enemy are not to be trusted, or you know what I'm talking about. I, thank you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The reference, that's what I'm talking about. See, when I go off script, I go, Lord, it's a mess in here, and sometimes getting the right things out is difficult. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are you willing to reflect correctly, or do you want to continue to walk on eggshells? Now, here's the other flip side. Do people walk on eggshells around you? Are they worried that you might fly off the handle? Are they worried that you don't have a heart that can respond in love? Man, that's what my friends thought about me. Like, hey, we're just not going to say anything because we don't want to offend him, and, and we're just going to assume this, and, and then in all reality, for some of them, they use that as an excuse to live that life themselves. Don't be that person. As we prepare to dive into the chaos of Christmas, holiday parties, family get-togethers, make a conscious decision to reflect correctly. And I can't tell you exactly how to do that because every situation is going to be unique. Now, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, uh, I love you. There's something hard I want to talk to you about. Are you willing to listen to? It's important. Be honest and speak truth. Moving on, the story of King Herod. Man, Herod was a mess and everyone was afraid because of him. Continuing on in verse uh, 3. Uh, in verse 4, sorry, uh, when Herod, or when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what, was, or what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod, what did he do? He called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Okay, so again, if you have ever read the Christmas narrative, you've probably heard these verses before. I won't go into the Magi. We're going to talk about the Magi in a couple of weeks. But understand that Herod wanted to figure out a couple of key pieces of information. One, when did you first see that star? Because if that's when the child was born, then he is X number of months or X number of years old. Okay. Calculating, cunning, I'm getting information. Well, where is this child supposed to be born? Let me, let me gather the people, the experts of the law of Moses, the, the, the keeper of, of, of the, the holy text. Let me bring them in. Hey, guys, what do you know? There's this prophecy. These guys have come and they said There's a, the king of the Jews was born. They're not talking about me. Where is he supposed to be born? Well, in Bethlehem in, in Judea. Okay. Here's the question that I've got. If Herod was so calculating and so cunning... Why did he rely on the Magi to find the baby Jesus? Couldn't he have just sent his own men? Couldn't they have just followed the same star that the Magi were following to go find out where this kid was? 
I don't know, maybe he didn't want to believe this to be true. I don't know his mindset. Maybe he just thought, I'll let others do the dirty work, and when they find him, then I'll come in and I'll take care of this usurper, this king that they speak of. How hard would it have been for Herod to have sent some of his men to follow the wise men? I don't know. Instead, Herod let the wise men go and find the child king. He said, hey, you guys do this, and then you tell me if it's real or not, if, if this is something that is, is genuine. And if there really is a child king, then I'll go worship him myself. Well, how does this apply to us? All too often we rely on others instead of going to the source ourselves. Do you know that you have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son? You have access to God. When Jesus dies, we see that the temple curtain is ripped in two. Again, we, we, we've talked about this in the past, that uh, the, the high priest was the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn, symbolizing that there is no longer a barrier between us and God. We have access to Him. We don't have to rely on the high priest. We don't have to rely on, on someone else seeking God for us. We have direct access to Him ourselves. And so, what's my application for us today? Use your all-access pass. Go to the source. We, we talk about this when it comes to spiritual things. I'm not saying that praying for other people is wrong or bad. But if you rely on somebody else to talk to God for you, then you are not going to the source yourself. And I'm not saying, hey, don't ever ask someone to pray for you or pray with you. Don't hear that. What I'm encouraging you is, how I'm encouraging you is this. Do you go to the King of Kings or do you rely on somebody else to go to him in your place? If I've got something going on in my life, I will pull people in and say, will you pray with me on this? As I go to the King, will you come with me and then tell me what you're hearing? Because I, I need confirmation in my life. I can't just make these decisions on my own. We talk about this when we, when we go through the whole way of how do we discern God's voice in our lives. One of the ways is to rely on the body of Christ, the, the, the group of believers. What are you hearing? Is it in the same line as what I'm hearing, or is it something completely different? Do you have, does what you're asking for go against God's word? Do you have personal peace? Do the circumstances line up? What does the body of believers say? Why is this important, the body of believers? Because we confirm our spirit, it connects with the spirit of God and somebody else that God is at work in our lives. And so when we go together, there's the opportunity for confirmation to take place. But do we rely, do you rely, do I rely on other people to go to Christ on my behalf and then to report back to me and tell me what God said? Or do I feel comfortable to go to the king myself? So this is a question that, that I ask seasoned believers, new believers. Do you know the authority that you have in Christ? When you ask Jesus into your life, He lives in you. He said, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit who has power, who has authority that you have access to. 
you don't go through life alone. When it comes to spiritual warfare, the attacks of the enemy, I, I've talked to so many believers that are scared to death of the work of the enemy in and around them. Oh, I think Satan's attacking me. I don't know what to do. Have you gone to the king? Have you stepped into the authority that God has given you? I'm not saying go it alone, go together, but are you going? Or are you hunkered back in fear going, I don't know what to do? Use your all-access pass. Go to the king, because when you go to him, he can give you a response, and his response is going to be better than that of, well, I have secondhand information. I think maybe this. God speaks, and he wants to speak to you. Go to the king. Go to him. Well, what was Herod's response to all this? Well, what happened is when the angel, or when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. We talked a little bit about this, uh, this last week with Mary and how, how she might have carried the weight on her shoulders of these boys being put to death. It was not her fault. This was uh, the act of an evil man who was doing something evil in the eyes of God, trying to stay in power. How does this apply to us? What does this mean? Well, so Herod had a desire to kill. Joseph had a dream. God said, hey, this is going to happen. Take your family in the middle of the night and leave. Not tomorrow, not the next day, right now. Imagine you're in a family. It's one in the morning, you get woken up and say, hey, we're leaving now. And we're not coming back until God tells us it's time. So they, they got all their stuff together, probably hopped back on a donkey, Mary, Joseph, and two-year-old Jesus, three-year-old Jesus, and they rode over 200 miles to Egypt. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited until Joseph had another dream. Do you think Mary was excited about moving in the middle of the night? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think she was having a party like, woohoo, adventure time. I'm thinking, I've got a, a baby in diapers, and, and, and now I've got this, this gold frankincense and myrrh. Well, I guess you funded our trip, God. Thanks for that. But would you be excited? How long does it take to drive, drive 200 miles? Uh, well, if you're driving in a car at 60 miles an hour, you know, you do the math, you can get there in four or five hours maybe, a couple bathroom stops, but if you are riding on the back of a donkey, 10 miles an hour, we're talking 20 hours minimum, if that, bathroom stops, swath, diaper changes, I don't know how, I don't even know how they did it back then. But understand, this was not something that you'd be excited about. Here's Mary going, I remember this. I rode pregnant on a donkey not just a couple of years ago, and then I had a baby here. And 
God, you are in charge. Their discomfort was necessary to save their lives. So what's my application for us? Look for the gain in the pain. Guys, this is dangerous when pastor starts to do these things because it, it's just whatever makes sense in my head. Write it down. You'll remember it forever and then go, what the heck did he mean? Look for the gain in the pain. Sometimes God does things in our lives for our growth and for our protection. But it's hard to see the upside in the middle of a difficult circumstance. It's hard. As I look back on my life, it, it was in the pain that I grew the most. And I don't know if you have similar experiences in your own life. In your deepest, darkest times, that's where God was the closest to you. This had to happen so that my will could be done in your life. Have you ever had a broken bone that needed to be reset and the doctor said, this is going to hurt? That's not what anyone wants to hear. If I don't do this, it will not heal properly. This pain will be temporary, but the healing will last forever. Okay, we, we willingly enter into that, or unwillingly as a child, we scream and cry, and then we get, you know, shot full of the stuff, and we, I don't know. But sometimes the pain is necessary to save your life. I don't wish pain or difficult circumstances on anyone. You think of the caterpillar in a chrysalis and how if you were to take the caterpillar or the, the butterfly out of the chrysalis, would it survive? No, because it has to stretch the muscles to be strong enough to survive outside. And so it is a difficult process and experience where the caterpillar transforms and it has to work its way out of its cocoon so that it can become a butterfly and fly. If it doesn't do that, it will not have the muscle strength to do what it was born and created to do. Same is true for us. Oftentimes, God doesn't uh, bring the pain. He allows the pain for His purpose. He redeems it. And so look at the difficult stuff in your life. How has God, or is God, redeeming this for His purpose? Look for the gain in the pain. What are you doing here, God? How are you going to take what the enemy has decided, brought out for his evil intentions, and how are you going to use it for your good? Mary's words last week, may it be unto me as you have said. All right, I'm with you. You do it, and I'll support it, because who am I? I'm just a 13-year-old girl. Now I'm a 15-year-old girl with a 2-year-old baby. I love how Scripture talks about us having the faith of a child. If God says it, He'll do it, and that's all that matters. And so when we go through the ringer, when we go through these difficult experiences, what if God wants to take this and say, this is, this is necessary, this is the catalyst for you to become the man, for you to become the woman that I've created you to be? You won't have the strength to do what I'm calling you to do until you get through this season but no one likes the season. No one likes pain. No one likes discomfort. This has to happen in order for you to heal. This is going to hurt. Man. I believe that some of the pain that you and I have gone through has yet to be redeemed. 
It doesn't mean it's, it's forgotten about. It doesn't mean it still doesn't sting. God's just not done yet. There's more healing to come. Bonus point. Um, I find it ironic that I wrote this in my notes, but don't discount your dreams. What do you mean, pastor? Here's Joseph. He has four dreams in which God speaks to him. The first one was to confirm, hey, your wife's not crazy. You should marry her. Why? Because inside of her grows the king of the world. You win. Good job. Don't have her killed. You know, marry the woman. Here's another dream. Hey, Herod's going to come kill you. It's time to go. Listen, move. Why do I say don't discount dreams? Listen, I don't have a great in-depth theology of dreams. I can't interpret your dreams for you. Believe me, sometimes our dreams are the result of the old pizza that we ate the night before. They have nothing to do with God at all. In fact, guys, I had the most amazing dream last night. I'm not going to go into great detail, but uh, Miriam's like, you have dreams that are crazy all the time now. And I go, I couldn't wait to hit the snooze button because I had to go back to sleep to find out how the dream ended. And it, it was one of those dreams that it should become a movie, but it's all foggy now, so I can never write it down. But it was so amazing. There was time travel. There was like these weird surprises. It was amazing. Had nothing to do with God. I literally had some chocolate-covered raisins last night. I think that's what was going on. But it is not far-fetched for me to wake up in the middle of the night to have a dream about somebody, for me to then call them or text them and say, hey, I had a dream about you last night. If you're close with me, I'll start with that. Sometimes that's really not a great way to start a conversation, especially if it's like a, a female. What? I had a dream about you last night, and I um, just want you to know I was praying for you at about 2.30 in the morning. Had that happen this week, I rolled over to Miriam and I said, hey, I had a weird dream of my friend Jim Souza. And the dream itself was just nuts. Like he was in a play and he was like quoting Shakespeare. I go, God, I don't know if this has anything to do with you, but I'm going to pray for Jim. So I sent Jim a text, Jim, had a dream about you. You were the star of the show. Just know that I prayed for you. He didn't ask me about the dream. He said, I really appreciate that. I needed it. Thanks, man. Don't discount dreams. What do I mean by that? If God puts somebody in your heart that you dream about, regardless of what the dream is, pray for them. Let them know. Why? Because you might just be the answer to their prayer. God, where are you? At that exact time, I sent somebody to pray for you. That confirmation can change somebody. You have the ability to affect the lives around you. Reflect correctly, right? Affect, reflect, all those fun words. Listen, God is at work, and He, in His own way, wants to use His people to communicate that He is at work in the lives of others. Be that. Be that person who says, hey, I'm praying for you. Be the person that says, hey, I've been thinking about you. Hey, uh, I made you a meal. Be that person. Affect the lives around you because you might just be the person God wants to reveal himself through to somebody else. So that's bonus content. My points for this morning, again, don't play musical chairs. God's the one who's in control. Be aware of who's sitting on the throne. If it's you, kindly step off and say, God, I did it again. I, would you take the rightful place? Reflect correctly again. 
Don't let your bad day become everyone else's bad day, especially during the holidays. Guys, it was probably five years ago, four or five years ago, there was something wrong in my heart. My whole family had come over. This was the last time that Miriam and I got into a, a, a major fight that was ugly, I think. I mean, we fight. We don't always agree on everything. But it, this time, it was over Christmas. My whole family came. They stayed at our house, and I was miserable. I was stewing. She, she said, it was like you were, you were spitting fire. It was so bad. What was going on? I don't know. But I was so mad. I wanted, I wanted everyone else to know that I was mad. To what end? There was no end. There never is an end with that stuff. But I was like, if I'm going to be miserable, then you're going to be miserable too. I had to apologize to my family. I said, guys, I was a jerk. My brother was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, Thanks, Marv. But you have the opportunity, potentially in ways that you can't even begin to imagine, this Christmas as you get together with friends and family to reflect the light of Christ, reflect correctly. Use your all-access pass. You have access to the King of Kings. Don't let somebody else go to Him in your place. Go to Him. Bring other people with you. Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? What's God teaching you? Are you spending time in His Word? You have access to the King, the one that we're celebrating in just a few weeks. You have access to Him. Go to Him. And finally, again, look for the gain and the pain. Your difficult situation may just be the very situation that God is going to use to transform your life. Guys, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, just know that you have a role to play in the narrative. You have a role to play. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do through you. Will you pray with me?